All right, so we're we're here starting our first episode. Tim, what's the name? Oh, the name? Oh, uh, oh crap! I'm gonna have to remember which one it is. I believe it's Gaming Triangle Podcast, or is it? Tri- okay, we're starting out strong. Don't even <laughs> yeah, remember yeah, our name. Or is it Triangle Gaming? I, I feel like the. I, I think the name is still TBD. 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 All right, all right. We'll go with Triangle Gaming for now. All right, so first episode, Triangle Gaming Podcast. We're just going to get started talking about the games that we love to give you an idea of who we are and what we stand for, kind of our personalities. I feel like that's the first thing I want to know when I meet somebody who's like, I really love board games. Like, well, what's your favorite game? I need to know. That tells me a lot about you. So we're going to talk about that. Why don't we start off just like talking about what games we like to play generally in our, our general styles? Tim, why don't you start us off? Probably That's probably a good start. Yeah, sure. So overall, a lot of my taste in gaming has been dictated with what my wife likes. I think that that's... And you know, that's probably not an unusual angle. So I, in general, enjoy co-op games because I like to avoid games to where I can avoid making my wife angry as much as possible. That's the best way, usually. Now, on the flip side of that, sometimes... She still gets really angry because a lot of times cooperative games have a lot of unfair mechanisms in them in order to make them difficult. So it's not (laughs) unusual for her to still get really mad at how unfair things are. But I would say overall, that's what I gravitate the most towards. But I am, I have a pretty wide taste overall. I would say probably the only source of board games that I don't really enjoy too much, as much as I've tried, are RPG-like board games. And that's probably a subject for another time that we will probably talk about. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about that at some point, I think, Tim. <laughs> yeah, we will have to. We'll have to because there's going to be a lot of people who got a lot of beef with that opinion. So, episode 4, Tim's hatred of RPGs. <laughs> whoa, 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 RPG board <laughs> games, okay? Let's 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 be specific RPG here. board um, games. But yeah, I would say that's probably right. what I gravitate more towards, but how about you, Ken? I, I really do enjoy learning rules and learning about games in ways that I think is is fairly unusual. I will read the rules for games that I've never played before. I will learn about games I will probably never play. I will watch people doing let's plays and things to kind of try to envision at that point. Like, can I see any group that I know actually wanting to play that game? For myself, yeah, definitely really enjoy heavier games, really enjoy games that make me, me think about different kinds of tactics and strategies and ways of problem solving than um, I've, I've seen before. So if, if there's a game that has a, a different kind of a puzzle, a different kind of a problem, that and I, I do tend to really enjoy you know kind of in contrast to what you're saying tim highly competitive kind of games i'm i definitely i don't mind losing but i i do love the the joy of the competition win or lose i want to you know do it again and and try to outperform the other people at my table so um, i enjoy a, a good co-op game but uh, typically my favorite games do tend to be more the competitive often much heavier games uh, sometimes games i have a very hard time getting to a table ever but yeah so Tem's, Tem defers to his amazing wife. <laughs> Ken defers to no right. one and learns games that he doesn't isn't going to play ever. And I'm probably a third option on the spectrum of I usually defer to the group. I'm up to play whatever. I, I don't read the rules. And in fact, when Tim is explaining the rules or Ken is explaining the rules, I am not listening. I am that really annoying person that takes a round or two of actually playing it to figure out what we're doing. In general, I like games that have some element of chance to them. 
because that's generally going to be the only way that I'm going to have a chance because I am more of a casual gamer. I think Ken usually fights me when I say that, but I am more like I don't sit and strategize specifically for a lot of games. There's mm-hmm. one game. I think that's why Sarah is a very important voice here. That's actually why we wanted her to be a part of our podcast. So first of all, she's a big part of our gaming group. She's over, Ken Ken and Sarah are over at my house all the time playing games. We do it pretty much every other weekend. So I've got a pretty big variety of games. At some point, I'll probably kind of find a way of maybe like uploading a photo of all of them so everybody can see. You can get a sense of what my tastes are. And honestly, we overlap pretty well. But one of the big reasons why really wanted Sarah to be a part of this. First of all, I I can't remember whose idea it was to do this at first, but I feel like Sarah being the podcast connoisseur here, I'm pretty sure that she she kind of gave us the inkling for it and we just kind of all, all aborted on that train. But overall, it's important to balance the hardcore gaminess of Ken and I with, with Sarah, who honestly, when people are trying to get other people into board games, which we'll also get into, I think it's important to have that perspective of like somebody who still really enjoys them, but they're not going to be as hardcore about it as, as Ken and I, right? That's not to say Sarah is not hardcore. It's just like, she's not as invested as probably Ken and I are all the time in being as strategic. I'm ADHD and have 8 billion different hobbies. So nothing controls my whole mind. (laughs) That's really what I, what I mean when I push back on the idea of you being a a casual gamer as such, uh, Sarah, in that, Casual gamers are, are not interested and not willing to play uh, some of the heavier games that, like I mentioned, I have a hard time going to a table. You are always up for and willing to play any game. Like you said, you, you may not get as deep into the, the weeds and the rules and, and be as driven on the strategy. And so you, you will play a heavy game in a casual way. She's played TI like five to ten times, okay? Like... Twilight Imperium. And I've like, won twice. The, li- the lightest game, the lightest game that is out there, right? I feel like a person who has won Twilight Imperium twice, uh, claiming to be a casual gamer, does strike me as a little, little, little odd, but but I understand, again, what you're saying with it, and that uh, even with Twilight Imperium, you never walk into it trying, you know, with a with a, a strong need to win it, like, like Kim or I would. I will bring my own copy of the rules to a Twilight Imperium game because I know I'm going to be digging through it enough. You actually print out copies for other people to have as quick references at their specific spot at the table. When, when I am at somebody else's house playing with their copy of the game, I do that, yes. So I, I, I do, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't have much more rules focus, but but you are playing those heavy games if, if maybe those aren't your favorites. I guess, you know, we're, we're talking about with favorite games. When you're talking about a favorite game, are you looking at just the game that you want to play the most, the one that's had biggest impact in your life? Like what what makes a game a favorite? Yeah, I'll, I, I can start. Favorite game for me, it has to be something that, with the selection that I have now of 80 to 100 games, it's one that, despite that entire selection, I'm just like, oh, but I really want to play that one. Still look at it every time, and it just, there's at no point where I'm like, eh, I'm not in the mood for it. I think that's probably the biggest draw overall is something that there are so many different strategies that could be approached with. Every game feels different, even though none of the rules change. So that's definitely one of the biggest things to me in a game is from the setup onwards, the game is different. Like new cards are out or there's some sort of mechanism that completely changes the way that the setup is from the beginning. And then you can't go into a game with a strategy. 
period. You have to go in as soon as whatever you see is out there, you must adapt. So chess is never going to be your favorite game. Oh, chess is definitely <laughs> top five, hundred percent. I love the variety of openings. It's either move this pawn or probably <laughs> this pawn. Yeah, it's great. I, that's that's totally uh, boiling down chess way too much. Obviously, their chess is incredibly strategic, but it there is not a lot of variety initially. And it can probably feel pretty samey pretty quickly. Whereas I think a good board game has a lot of diversity right from the setup. And then it just snowballs from there to where by the end of it, things are crazy, which is probably why also you like TI. I, I mean, I, and I will say, and I, I do enjoy chess. I've actually got several groups I'm playing chess with now, but it is on my board game geek. It is an eight out of 10 for, for games, historic as it is. Because, um, you know, like I said, it, it is very, very, very same every time. And I, I think there's a lot of things I enjoy about games that are, that have that variety. Yes, um, I can memorize a bunch of chess openings. I would rather memorize 12 strategies for how to open with different factions in Twilight Imperium. So I'm like, again, on the opposite end of the spectrum to Tim. Tim likes something that like, it's going to be new and different and like, you can't really plan for it. You have to adapt. I like things that are familiar. <laughs> Coming from the person who will literally play a new game every time without complaining. So I, I don't mind playing new games, but my favorite game is going to be the game that I'm familiar with, that I'm comfortable with, and that gives me lots of player interaction, even when it's not my turn, because it's going to keep me interested and invested in the game because I'm still doing things. Like I said, ADHD real bad. So having something that I can be doing that's going to keep me in the game versus like sitting back and playing on my phone is going to be something that's cool. So I like games that I have to pay attention to or that keep me invested in other ways. Give me that dopamine hit. Often. Yeah, as a, as a segue, you know, to that, I, I wish there were more games that were better about like, what do you do on your downtime? Now, in some ways, some games make up for that by, by looking at, well, you got to just think about your strategy going forward and what you're going to do on your next turn. But sometimes that's still not even enough to keep some people engaged. You know, you just kind of space out, you know, other people's moves don't really matter. That That's kind of where I also gravitate towards like worker placement games sometimes as well, because mm -hmm. you are always looking at, is my spot going to be taken? Is my spot going to be taken? And so I do like that those games as well a lot for that reason. They kind of force you to be engaged and really think about like backup plan A, B, and C. I think that's another good thing about co-op games too, like a true co-op game where you're actually like really working with the rest of the table is going to keep you invested because you've got to know what they're doing because you're all working for the same goal. So it's, it's, you do have turns, but you are invested in what other people are doing. So worker placement co-op games, I feel like are, are some of my favorites yeah, I think, too. I think one of the downsides with uh, worker placement co-op kind of games, you know, worker placement in general as a, a downtime mechanic is it often can end up completely invalidating what your whole plans had been during the off turn. And, and again, kind of reset you that at the beginning of your turn, whatever you were planning or thinking about ahead of time may no longer be relevant. So another one of those challenges with, you know, having downtime engagement that doesn't make planning or efforts or, or things they were doing just feel like they were wasting that time and effort. But I, I definitely agree that downtime activities, like I think a lot of games, more historic kind of games often hit, oh yeah, people just talk while somebody else is taking a turn. And in a modern era, like you're saying, you don't even have conversation at the table if people are bored or, or disengaged. They pull out their phone and they've completely forgotten about the people in the room by the time it's their turn again. And not 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 really you think, oh yeah, the downtime could be good if you could socialize. That's not not typically what happens in a modern at a modern table in my experience. 
unless you're on TTS and someone's actually like meal prepping for the week in the background during their downtime. We've, we've never experienced that. When has that ever happened? Surely We're, never. I, nobody's ever done that. So let's let's jump into our main conversation, talking about oh, each man. of our favorite games. We'll start with Tim. Tim, what's your favorite well, game? Well, probably nobody's surprise. My favorite is perhaps the most complex co-op board game of them all, and that would be uh, Spirit Island. Now, Spirit Island, I think my favorite thing about it is variety, variety, variety. Now, the reason why I say that is from even just the setup, you're picking different spirits. And the combination of those spirits is going to completely dictate how the game is played from the ground up. Because different spirits have different interactions. And for those of you who are not familiar with Spirit Island... Probably, if you're at all into board games, you probably have at least heard of it now because it's made quite the rumble. It really kind of just blasted into the scene, and now it's really starting to make make waves. But the no, no pun intended. But one one of the one of the things about it is it's a giant cooperative game with very with varying complexity of spirits that you can play. And the whole goal is you have these colonialists who are trying to settle on this island. You have these natives on the island called the Dahan. And the spirits, depending on which spirit you pick, they have varying degrees of how much they care about those natives. Really, all they care about is the colonials need to get the hell out of here, and we want them to stop ruining our beautiful island. We're going to ruin it ourselves if we have to in the process. And so you take control of these spirits. They have different powers. They all pilot completely differently. And you have to work together with all these other spirits who also, uh, each person gets their own section of the island. You eventually get to branch out to other sections of the island as the game goes on. And different spirits have different power spikes at different times. Everybody has things that they're good at and they're not good at. Some are more offensive, some are more defensive. And so you just, from the outset of you getting to pick those spirits, it just changes how the game plays. And then there's a bunch of randomness in the game to make it not feel super samey all the time. And you do have to then, you have to accommodate with whatever shows up. So that's probably what I like the most about it. And then no game that I've run into does difficulty scaling as well as this game does. Because you can ultimately choose to make it as hard or as easy as you want from both your own personal piloting of what spirit you pick, because every spirit has a difficulty or complexity rating that you can pick so you can make that as hard as you want and the another great part about that is the spirits themselves even if they're low complexity that does not affect how much they contribute to the game they are still strong now now obviously there's different power levels for each spirit but overall you picking a a a lower complexity spirit does not mean you're going to feel like you're contributing less than other people which is fantastic and then on top of that once you pick a, a difficulty level, you also get to pick what adversary you want to fight against. And that adversary has different scalings as well. And there's like 10 or 15 different adversaries you can pick from. And then if that's not enough, there's also a new community level of combining fighting two adversaries at once. So if you want the game to be extremely, brutally, unforgivingly hard, you can absolutely do it. And so when you just combine all that together with the fact that you also get to draft these powers that that are also a, like a community pool of powers that you can draft from, the deck is enormous. And then there's also two different decks of those. All of the variety there is phenomenal. And on top of that, the best part of, of this, I know there's a lot. See, this is why this game is the best. 
80 reasons why Tim loves Spirit Island. Yeah, and top of that, there is no possible way you are going to quarterback this game. So one of the big things with cooperative games, if you're not familiar with the term quarterbacking, is basically one person who knows the game really well, they're basically going to play it for everybody. And nobody likes that, okay? Like, people want to feel like they're making decisions for themselves. Okay, so maybe Sarah... Sometimes you like it. Sometimes right. you like it. It has you its know? place, okay? But overall, I think that people want to feel like they're actually contributing and providing their own thoughts and, you know, unique ideas to the game. And you definitely can do that in Spirit Island. There's no way, especially in a high player count game, you're going to be able to keep track of what your spirit does, what your other uh, allies' spirits do, and also keeping track of what's going on in their board and keeping track of all the cards they've gathered. Like there's just too much going on that it's just impossible for you to realistically pilot multiple spirits in a, in a timely fashion. And that's what makes spirit Island. So great is it is one of the, the most exemplary games in terms of showing what co-op can do. Now, the one big negative that I will say about my favorite game is that it is not easy to teach. And I feel like I'm pretty good at teaching it. It is not something you can just be like, hey, guys, try this out. Yeah, you you kind of already have to be pretty well versed in board games to really latch onto it easily. But usually the theme can carry it even then if you're like, you know, this is hard to follow. But like you see the artwork and you just see like thematically, it's fantastic. It just it really pulls you into feeling like I am this god on the island and I will smite these disgusting colonialists. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Sarah, and again, you mentioned you may have more casual interest and not being a person who digs through the rule book. We've definitely played Spirit Island a lot. How, how do you feel about Spirit Island as a this person who self-admittedly feels more casually about games than, than Tim or I? Spirit Island is unsurprisingly not my favorite. Um, <laughs> so I, I feel like, like you said, it's, it's hard to teach and I am hard to, I'm a hard person to teach sometimes because I like zone out when people are telling me rules, which is very frustrating, I'm sure. But Spirit Island, because you've got like the three different phases and you do different things in the different phases, I always get lost and it takes me a couple of turns to figure out what exactly I'm supposed to do, which is why I really like when someone can quarterback at least for a round or two (laughs) for me, you know, when it's early and I haven't gotten as many cards. So it's a little bit easier to do. So I I feel like that's, I mean, the last game we played, I even teamed up with Tim's wife because I was like, I do not have the brain space to like think through all of this. I think that's also a testament to how complex the game is. The fact that like you actually could team up with somebody and pilot the same spirit and you still will probably have different novel ideas of how you would approach each turn, which is crazy. On top of that, to your point, Sarah, about complexity, there are there are many times that you will find yourself looking up rulings for like different interactions and combinations of of, of things. That that's it's the FAQ for that game is huge. Now that that also is a testament to how involved the uh, the developer is in terms of the man loves his game and he is super active in the community. I'm in I'm in the Spirit Island Discord where he actually you can actively talk to to like the developer of the board game. And he loves talking about the game. He loves interacting with his fans. Uh, super cool. And because of that, the FAQ section to that, and there's like a whole rules section for just all the different random things that'll come up. So yeah, I, you will absolutely run into situations where you're like, I don't know what you do here. And you have to look it up. 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I, having said that it's not my favorite, I do still really enjoy it. It's a beautiful game. It's very, I would say of all the co-op games I've played, it's one of the most interactive, you know, like everyone at the table is like actively leaning in like, okay, I've got this area covered. I've got this area covered. What are we going to do? What can you do anything for me over here? Like it's very, very good for being a cooperative game. Like it's a true cooperative game. I, I love the way you verbalize that, Sarah. It is definitely like, hey, guys, I need someone who can maybe help me with this. And it's not like you saying, hey, use this ability for me here. It's like, hey, what can you right. guys do? And then someone can go, well, I could do this. And then and like it just opens up the decision space. So huge. Yeah, that's one thing that's really great. Like I said, exactly. It's not even at that point, it's not a coaching. Hey, I need you to use your power to do this. Like, I have no idea what other people's powers at the table are when I'm playing Spirit Island. I have no idea what cards they have. I have no idea. Very much will be, I can't control the situation in my section of the island. Can anybody do a thing? <laughs> and and then the table will say, well, you know, what could we do? And, and how could we interact with things? And maybe if there's been an interaction earlier in the game that worked mm-hmm. well, uh, people might, oh, can we do that thing again? No, we can't do that right now because I don't have the right cards right now to do that. But, you know, it it, it is a game that, like, again, I'm, Typically not a person who prefers co-op games. I, I do view something like, you know, Pandemic as almost being more of a puzzle that you work out together as a, as you know, it's not a, a game where everyone's making decisions. And sometimes if someone is quiet or, or withdrawn, they're not even not even really playing the game. That can be a case of a lot of, a lot of co-op games where they, they, they tend toward that kind of thing. It's really easy to do that in Pandemic, unfortunately. But, I mean, it, you know, not to say that, you know, Pandemic is an awful game. It's, you know, a lot of people love it and play it, but it's, no. you know, it's definitely not one that I, I tend to pull out if, you know, and I, I don't, I don't own Spirit Island myself, but it is, I, I never mind playing Spirit Island because I do love the, the tactical mm-hmm. complexity of every puzzle. If I'm playing a complex spirit, I am struggling the entire time just to figure out like, how are these powers supposed to even mm-hmm. work? If I'm playing a simple spirit, I'm still sitting there going, okay, like, how do I use <laughs> yeah. tools like simple, right? In quotes. Because you know, well, even if I if, even if I can simply understand and, and, and utilize my spirit, its powers, its capabilities, I'm still looking at at the challenges on the board that I'm having to address. And okay, like how do I how do I use the the straightforward, understandable tools that I have to deal with this problem here that I don't know if my tools can even do. And and at what point do I start saying, hey uh, hey 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 table, uh, can anybody help me with this? Because I'm not covering it this round. And uh, mm-hmm. so, like you know, it definitely, I'd say for for a co-op game, is probably probably is my favorite co-op. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a final testament, like, and I think we can probably wrap it up here. But we only played it recently, a couple weeks ago, and I think that you really warmed up to the game quite a bit more when we had that playthrough. Yep, yep. And that, and in picking spirits at the beginning. You guys were like, That's oh, the best part. you should the pick best part. an easy one. You're ready for the <laughs> next level. I was not ready for the next level. Teaming up with Alicia, I was still like, okay, Alicia, you got this. <laughs> so it's, you know, definitely suggest if you are a newer player or a player who has trouble thinking about a bunch of different things all at once, the easy ones are like like Tim and Ken have said, like it's it's not like they're weak because they're easier to play. It's just a lower complexity. So it, there's definitely no shame in picking a lower complexity Absolutely. one. And speaking of lower complexity, yep. let's jump into my favorite game. <laughs> um, so I am the biggest fan of Dice Forge. Okay, it is, if you've never played it before, it is a dice rolling game. There are different things that you can do with your dice. 
and the the coolest part of the game or like one of the coolest parts of the game because of course like tim i'm gonna have eight different reasons that i could spout (laughs) off about about why this game is so great but one of the coolest things is that you can pop the die faces off in fact like that's a huge game mechanic is popping the die faces off to change your your roles basically like to change your you all start out with the same dice and then you make moves during the game to change the faces of your dice that changes how you play the game so like i said earlier like i am all about the dopamine hits and the things that keep you in the game while other people are playing so like you roll your dice on everyone's turn so you're still getting stuff that's keeping you in the game and you're like it's almost like gambling keeps that dopamine going like you got the rolls all the time you get to roll so many dice in this game it's amazing and i you know there's also an element of chance because of the rolling but also because the different mechanisms for gaining victory points are very different so there are a bunch of different ways to gain victory points and some of them you can see what other people are doing and some of them you can't so i feel like unless you are a very hawk-eyed person you can be at the end of the game like i have no idea who's winning right now and so no one feels like they're out of it early no one feels like i'm just sitting here waiting for this game to be over because i've obviously lost you know you can definitely have like a, a strategy that doesn't work out but i feel like it's unless like i said unless you're very paying very much attention to what other people are doing it's hard to say whether or not you're winning or not so I'm I'm interested to hear how you guys feel about this because I would I would say this game for me is a ten. Sir, that angle is really interesting. The angle of keeping people engaged because they don't know if they're winning or not. I actually think that that's kind of hype. I, I like that. I like that angle. I think I think it's a big a big thing with a lot of a lot of people like about a lot of Euro game kind of things, or you know, where you don't necessarily know what the points are mm-hmm. until point you get to the end and you calculate it all up. Mm-hmm. It can be frustrating for someone like myself who wants to be sitting there and, and being very very tactical about everything I do. Because, yeah, often until the end of the game, you don't know if it's helping or not. But, yeah, I think it does help a lot to keep people engaged to we get frustrated otherwise. Yeah, I mean, like, you can go for the big monsters that are worth a lot of points at the end. You can go for moves that are going to increase your role faces. Like, there's just so many things you can do with it. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, and there's nothing of its kind. Just the, the... There are so many ways they could have mechanically probably done the same thing that they did. But just getting to pop die faces off gets everyone so hyped. It doesn't matter who it is. The tactical piece. The tactical piece of it is amazing. It doesn't matter how advanced you are in board games either. The gimmick works. Like, it makes people, like, that's still my favorite part about it. Like, it's it's probably not overall my favorite game yep. in terms of now that I've I have a lot more games. It's probably not one of the first ones I pull out, but you can be damn sure if there's somebody new and I want to get them into a board game. Oh, hell yeah. That is in the top five of like pulling out and be like, check this out. Your dice can be completely changed. Like just pop the face off. They're like, what? It's it's definitely a game that I recommend to anybody who has not played it before to, to play it because yeah, I, I do think that the dice changing mechanic does feel a little bit uh, gimmicky and not something that has long-term legs for me. But if you haven't played it before, I think you definitely have to play Dice Forge. Like it's rolling dice is a tactically wonderful thing. And that is games that have a lot of dice rolling kind of things are definitely things that are fun for for new players. And they're fun for people who just enjoy that tactile uh, engagement. 
being able to change those dice faces, going to change your metrics. I mean, some of the games that will like they add uh, add dice to dice pools and things like that, as far as like being able to change the outcomes of your of your rolls. But being able to actually like pop off and replace a face, like that really feels uh, really feels very cool when you're playing the game for sure. And I feel like if you are like a more strategically minded person, there is that element of like knowing probability and being able to apply that to your die faces. Like, what's more important to my strategy? Rolling three victory points or two of this and two of this like totally so there is more of like whereas if you're someone like me i'm not going to sit there and think in my head the calculating the probabilities i do not have the mathematical prowess for that but someone who wanted to go that route could and it would keep you busy in your mind maybe i don't know i'm and i mean in defense of the game for sure I, i can't say that i've ever really figured out an optimal strategy yet i mean now, obviously, I haven't, I don't have like, 40, like I have, <laughs> I, I haven't done like 40 or 50 plays of it. But you know, overall, there is no obvious immediate strategy to me. I, I feel I, I would say, Sarah, that I've found an optimal strategy for it more that I feel like if I if I play it too many times, I feel like I will I will have a understanding of the game such that I will be much better than the majority first time or casual players I play it with. So I, I, I don't, I don't want to play it enough times to feel like I have a, a, a full solve for the game. And, and it, it is something that I, I can do the math. I can figure a lot of that stuff out. I mean, so I was mentioning it being a 10 out of 10 game. I, I got over to my house to play board games a couple of weeks ago, but I said, oh, yeah, let's, we'll play Dice Forge. I haven't played in a while. And, but like for me, I, I, I have it rated as like, probably like a, you know, seven out of 10 game. Like it, it's, it's a game I enjoy playing. After we played it, you said it was bumped up. Come on. I, I think, I think, I think I might have bumped it from a six to a seven. So like, oh, <laughs> it's at least an um, eight. So like it is, it is a, it is a fun game. It is a, a very uh, cool gimmick. It is, you know, it's a game that if you haven't played it, I, I definitely recommend doing, you know, I do think that the, you know, the, the luck element of it is, is substantial when you're first starting out the game. And also it, it feels difficult to me as a, again, as a person who's sitting there trying to min-max everything, it's difficult uh, for your first couple of playthroughs to really be able to even like have a, a good sense of whether the strategies you're doing are good or bad. Are they working? Are they not? You know, until you get to the end of the game, you don't even know what, you know, what your comparative scores are at all. So it, it can be, it can be very challenging to feel that sense of, of, of progress or doing well that, that I like with games that are a little bit more uh, concrete with that. But as Sarah was saying, like, those are all things that she is also aware of and sees as strengths of the game, not as weaknesses. So the very things that I dislike about the game, uh, Sarah loves about it. It's a, definitely it's definitely a fun game. Definitely one. I've, I've, I own it. I've played it probably five or six times. Mm-hmm. I've had people uh, at my table uh, buy copies of the game uh, on Amazon to get it to the house when they get home. More than once I've had that happen with that. I, I did, you know, one time I was thinking, oh, maybe I could have just like given you, given you my copy to take home with you. But um, <laughs> uh, so, so again, like this is our favorite game. I own a copy. Tim owns a copy. You do not own a copy of Dice Forge, uh, Sarah. Why, why, why do you not own Dice It's because we both own it. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you never, ever need someone to, to babysit your copy, let me know. <laughs> Look, I only own two board games one that's nostalgic that i tried to give to tim and he gave it back to me because it is actually a garbage game and one that's dune imperium because i got really obsessed with dune and read all the books and my husband got it for me for christmas so i have two board games 
I, I why would I buy them when I can just play them with y'all? Also, also while boarding at my house, though, you did order and and now have uh, Railroad Inc. So. Oh, that's right. I did <laughs> recently invest in Railroad Inc., which is a close second to Dice Forge for me. It won't be long before it's her favorite. I already know it. But uh, another another point in Dice Forge's camp is the organizer's fantastic. That's a like presentation oh, from organizer. yeah from from present the presentation of that game alone is what makes people go. All right, I'm going to buy that. Like that is it, it is a great game to show off in terms of just looks, ease of. Uh, wanting to invite people because everyone understands dice they're just like i played yahtzee and now you're like well this is yahtzee with changeable dice and you're like hell yeah i'm on board and you get to roll them a ton like you're rolling that Mm -hmm. whole game and you and you do have uh, a change in setup which i already profess that i like a lot like you can choose what cards to put out so it adds variety so it it's a it's a solid uh, a solid game all around now i will say with all of this praise that we're giving to it now there is one downside, and that is that the one time we played the expansion, it was very, very unbalanced. <laughs> there are like it adds two kind of paths that you can go down, like a sun and a moon. And if you go the moon route, my husband was the only one that went the moon route that game, and he was like, "I am doing terribly." So, and the, and that may just have been that one playthrough. I don't know that it's truly unbalanced, but the expansion is not something that i would routinely play with probably. yeah I, I i i own it and i need to give it another shot or two but first impressions were not good the 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 base game felt much better but i need to give it another shot before i'm willing to say that but yeah that's like take that take that critique with a grain of salt because we have only played it once so it could have just been i don't know the the way that the things yeah. roll i i mean i i've not played it and intentionally did not buy it but to me the the all right, it's on our to-do list then. It's on oh, our to-do yes! list. Yes, put Dice Forge back on the table. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know you're not going to yes. complain about that. Yeah, the the, the 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 argument I I would have against it generally is that I, I do feel like the appeal that Dice Forge Dice Forge does have is in in its simplicity and and ease of approaching and for games like that, I, I always feel like adding adding more rules and more complexity to a simple game. Largely makes sense if you have a, a casual gaming group who've been playing that game dozens of times and want to add a little bit of spice to it. They're not, they, you know, it's not something you want to pull out for if you're teaching someone the game for the first time. It's not something that even even more hardcore kind of gamers necessarily want because if I want to play a complex game, I'm going to pull out a complex game. I'm not pulling out Dice Forge and then saying, hey, let's add let's add this expansion that makes it more complicated. So it's always just a, a, a Philosophical kind of thing when we're looking at adding, adding when we talk start having some of the casual games or or, or, or intro games. No, I like that. Angle. A lot of those yeah. I, I either I either don't buy the expansions for, or if I do, it's only if as a, as a special treat if I'm playing with friends who are like, oh hey, let's let's play that game that I used to love, and now I'm a, a much heavier gamer. Sure, let's throw some more rules that people mm-hmm. who already know the game and, and can play that. But it, it's I find find the expansions for those kind of games get very little play in my collection. And and you and then contrary to that, like Spirit Island, they're on to their yes. third expansion, fourth expansion, and every time I'm like, hell yeah, give me more spirits! Like they're always coming up with some crazy new shit you can do, and it always just feels exciting. You're just like, I can't wait to like think about the game in a new way again. It, it always Absolutely. adds something. No, games, game, games like Spirit Island or uh, you know other games that they get. I mean, even even some of these simple games. If, if your table is giving them lots of play, 
you know, you know, you want when you want the expansion on those, you know, when you want those complexities, and that's it, that, that's great for that. But they, they're a lot of times like I will for you know for something like Scythe, I will you know buy it and buy the expansions all to begin with because I know that I'm going to want all the options I can possibly have with all the rules I can possibly get. You know, it's not necessarily something I do with with some of these more casual style games. So actually, that's a great segue. Uh, games that have great expansions and you immediately buy them. I think that leads us into Ken's favorite. Ken, tell us what your favorite game is. Well, I, we've mentioned it many times already, so I'm, I'm sure people aren't uh, aren't going to be super surprised that it is it is Twilight Imperium. For me, the the thing I'm looking for in in a favorite game is one that leaves me thinking about it all the time. Um, especially if I'm currently playing a game um, or recently played one, but even just in general. So uh, with Twilight Imperium, I will I started with uh, Tim and Sarah playing uh, during the during the lockdown, doing it on Tabletop Simulator. And that was how I first got to know them. I actually first know Tim because we were uh, helping a, a mutual friend move. And so I was like, Tim has Twilight Imperium. Uh, Ken, if you want to play that, maybe you should like exchange contact information. And so years later, we finally played together. But that like, that is the the genesis of, of my knowing Tim is, is this game. And then that really kind of goes into, I would say the second big thing I like about Twilight Imperium as a game in that it is, it is very deeply relational as, as a game. You just to play the game Twilight Imperium, you have to be setting aside, especially for a first game, probably eight to 12 plus hours to play the game, which, you know, something that is, is already a huge relational commitment just to spend that much time with other people when you're actually playing the game, it's also not like it's just a, a, a war game that you're, you're creating, you know, tactical alliances and, you know, eventually, you know, you're going to turn around and destroy the person's uh, stuff. It's a game that has binding diplomatic commitments that you make and that uh, you have to fall through on uh, with the other players or, or face consequences. It's a game where you're pursuing points in ways that are not directly based on uh, trying to harm or damage other people's uh, stuff or positions. So, so as, as a game, it ends up being much more about you know engagement, engagement, relationships with your fellow players. Often, you will be picking someone, saying, "Hey, like, can you do a thing that helps me get a point in exchange? I'll help you do a thing that gives you a point." There, there's a lot of that that give and take. There is compared to a lot of like you know four, four uh, X kind of uh, kind of computer games. It gives you the ability in a board game to have things where you're 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 reaching out, you're exploring, you're settling, you're building an economy, you are delving into technologies, and, and never in a way that is rote or, or 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 necessary, or there's only one good choice to be doing. Even when you're sitting at it on a given turn or round and feeling like, oh, there's only one thing that really makes any sense for me to do right now, that can be something that's just because you're being kind of short-sighted in what you're wanting to do or look at or plan, there are often other options that you can do. And so like, I, you know, I love going into final rounds of Twilight Imperium and we'll be sitting there, I'll go around and explain, this is how everybody here could potentially win this round. <laughs> I think that's how I've won before, is you've actually said, ha ha ha, here's how you could win. Yeah, I'm doing that not to help everyone out, but to try to help the other people to be able to block that, that win condition. Uh, so yeah, the one that, that Sarah was mentioning, uh, I was like, uh, this is how Sarah could win. And Tim, you are the only person who has the ability to stop her from winning. And that would require you to do this. And, you know, he wasn't able to do that. I had not, I had not even realized that that was a possible win condition. So. 
I love it. I love that it is a table-wide effort to make the game go longer. Like, everyone's just like, all right, here's how this person can win, so we're going to shut that down. And then we're like, oh. Well, and, and what's really interesting with that as well, though, you can still go through all of that. And, and I've, I've had games, at the end of it, I was like, sitting there, okay, this is how everyone else can win. Like, and there was, was, was figuring out how to block everything. And I was basically saying, okay, like at this point, uh, I feel like the only person who, who can win would be, uh, would be Sean. And everybody's like, how, how, how is Sean going to win? I'm like, I don't know, but I know that he probably has a way that I can't figure out <laughs> that I can't predict. Um, I don't see how, and sure enough, he won that round, but <laughs> because even, even with all that, um, there's just there, what I like about it is that there's always, Similar, like with with uh, Spirit Island, there's always too much to be keeping track of to have completely uh, solved the game. Uh, even in a given round, even in a given turn, and within a round, you know, there's not it's not certain that something you're doing is is the best move. And so, I can spend when we were playing uh, one round a week online, I would spend the entire week planning out my next round and. You know, so we would get in and say, oh, yeah, like, you know, first first turn of the next round and my entire plan was, was thrown out. Typically for myself, I would at least have some outline of, of you know, three or four different permutations that the round could go. And, and elements of that would always stay, but elements of that would also be completely shattered by someone doing something that I completely didn't predict or guess or, or know. Which is why it's so fun to play with me, because I do things that make no sense. <laughs> But aren't completely worthless. I'm doing things in my own way, but usually I'm the one that's like doing something that you're like, what in the world? Nah, I think I think you're overplaying that. I think you you usually have a pretty good idea of what you're doing. No, we've had people at the table uh, who are making completely random moves, and that can get annoying. Uh, your your moves, uh, you yeah, I think I think your moves uh, do tend to be have, have a purpose, have a thought pattern, and and I mean again, you have one twice, and both of them because you're in a position to be able to win based on, on good decisions you had made. Only to pick, I wanted to piggyback on one point you made about like not being able to solve the game. And I think one of the biggest components to that is action cards. They can literally do anything. They could even be a boat. <laughs> no, it's, and, and it, it really, everybody who's, who's, you know, played games and been in the, in the community has, has heard of and is aware of Twilight Imperium. Most people I mentioned it to you, well, oh yeah, I, you know, would love to be able to play that someday. And, you know, I don't know if I can, if I can commit to that kind of time. I don't know if I can, one of those kind of rules. So I say, Complexity to play for a person who's played a lot of games is, is really not massively complex. The rule set, there, there are a lot of, lot of details and, 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 and permutations, interactions that you may have to look up and have to do things with. As far as like just be able to get in and play it, it's not bad for a, for a person with a lot of gaming experience. It's definitely a lot to teach anybody who has, you know, light game experience or, 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 or generally doesn't, uh, you know, absorb rules quickly. I do think the complexity is also overblown a little bit. I, I, I feel like that there are, and Ken and, I, Ken and I have talked about this before. I think that there's not a lot of great teaching, teaching uh, videos out there with how to play it. I don't think it has to be as complicated as people make it out to be. I mean, agree to disagree on that. It is. I mean, like you said, if you've got a pretty good bit of gaming experience, it's reasonable, but even just like the base mechanic of like activating a system, there are so many mm -hmm. elements that go into the different stages of a turn yeah. that it takes new players like a couple rounds at their best mm -hmm. to figure out. Oh, absolutely. At, at that point in TI, like you can have lost the game for yourself. Yeah. And unlike, oh, 100%, unlike Dice 100%. Forge, 
you can tell that you're <laughs> lost, that you have lost the game for yourself. So, and, and also on my Dice Forge, uh, Twilight Imperium is again a eight to twelve hour commitment you've made that you may now be in really bad shape for compared to a forty five minute thing where you you realize oh now I understand the rules let's play again and do it. Uh, Twilight Imperium, it's uh, yeah. Uh, Next year, uh, when we play again, let's uh, uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll remember some of these rules again. Still, and yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think the problem is I I really want to get into this at some point, but honestly, if people just use the if the actually not people, I should say people who are teaching the game, if they would just go over the reference card of like when you use an action token, here's you just literally follow every single one of these steps from top yeah. to bottom. Nobody ever explains it that way. I've never seen a YouTube video explain it in that manner. And it really is just that simple. They're like trying to teach all these different things in different ways uh, or or addressing, addressing things way out of order. If you just addressed like that section and just when you use a token, you just go down top to bottom that Look, section. Tim, we just, it mostly covers we just it. need you to create a YouTube video that is five minutes, I plan five on minutes it. or I plan less. On it the basic things you need to know for playing TI, because I feel like I talk about that because I I would agree with Tim. I think the, the premise that a lot of, a lot of how to play things end up doing on twilight is to try to explain everything. And, and for, for how to play you, you want to have somebody at the table who knows everything, but the other five players largely just need to understand how, how tactics, how tactical action operates and functions what the strategy cards are and how they work, understand the command token economy of the game. And from that, like, honestly, most of the rest of it, you can, like, you're not, you're not going to ruin your game if you don't understand how all the ships work. Um, you will ruin your game if you, you're just along for the your, ride, your, 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 your uh, command tokens early. And then you spend two rounds, not being able to do anything. You will also ruin your game. If you do not understand how to take, Mechatol Rex and plan your whole thing and then not have the influence to do it because you didn't understand that rule. <laughs> That's happened to me. <laughs> so make sure you include that in your five minute <laughs> YouTube video. That feels that feels bad, man. Yes. So the biggest uh, the biggest negative of TI, I would say, is you look at this giant box of shit. Just all these ships. You're like, I'm going to build this army and I'm just going to ruin everyone. And you're just like, no, 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 no. This is a Cold War game. Okay. You don't do anything. I know you're itching to use that giant fleet you just built. And it's going to be so cool to, as they, as they say in uh, the terminology of TI, crash plastic. Okay. But that is not the point of the game. And it is so easy where if you're a new gamer, you come into this game and you look at all these cool ships and you're just like, oh, so you just blow each other up. And you're just like, well, no, yep. not really. You might you might have two fights in the game altogether. Now, that could be a table meta thing also. That that's that's a conversation for another day. But in general, this is the understood meta when you talk to like, you know, higher echelon players. This is very much how they play. It's a Cold War game and you're politicking. The game is all about politicking and trying to find the ways to not use your army in yep. any way possible. Cuz it costs a lot to make them. You know, mm-hmm. you have to spend a, a command token and, and during your action phase. You have to pay for the ships. I'm like really protective of them, which is why I can't play aggressive factions because I do not 
engage in battle if I can avoid it. Yeah, I, I think the, the the key with any, I think even with table metas, and we won't go into that super deep today, but is that is to understand Twilight Pyramid that you know anytime two factions fight, they both lose material, they both suffer compared to the rest of the table. You are helping the other four players anytime you have a battle in Twilight Imperium. It's like you very much are looking at that and thinking, is this is this damage to me and my neighbor worth the benefit it gives to the other four players? And you know, if you're the two if you're the two factions that are are winning the game, then sure maybe it is. If you're not, it's it's really something you'd have to ask that question of, you know, should should I do this? But yeah, I the tactical options and possibilities, the long-term strategic kinds of things, the complexities of the rule sets and the permutations, the fact that, you know, especially with uh, the Prophecy of Kings expansion, that uh, I do find it, it keeps uh, the number of powers and agents and special abilities that everyone has just just barely outside of my ability to even even feel like I can try to stay on top of. Again, with all the things I, lo- I say I love to have and, and love to plan and know all the permutations, having having it be you know that far outside of my my range where like like Kim was saying someone plays an action card and it it breaks my game and that, that's a random element that in a lot of games would would make me hate the game but with with Twilight it's you know I do I do enjoy that change of fortunes that shift of uh, of what's happening I mean and you're not going to hear this is not going to be the end you're going to hear of TI because uh, we've already planned maybe some episodes around it because it is definitely <laughs> in my my top five top ten. The only reason why it wavers sometimes, not in terms of my enjoyment of the game, but the sheer difficulty of tabling it. And then also, um, the game clearly was balanced and designed designed around six players. And so mm-hmm. you always want to aim for six players. I, I, you can play with more or less, but it's really at its core, it's a six player game. And every... And, I have played with four people and it just, it isn't the same, but it was still, it was such an enjoying thing that I actually, my first playthrough was with four players and it's crazy the the dynamical difference of playing it with four versus playing it with six. And so you want to get exactly six. And when you have a big board gaming group of people, it's hard to like, all right, that's it. Cut off. Like that's all who can play this. Whereas a lot of other games are a lot more flexible. Such as Dice Forge. (laughs) Actually, no, Dice Forge, you can only have four people, I think. Well, so Sarah, I know that's why you're going to buy two copies, and you're just going to have everybody play. You know, two, that's why you need games. to get that's why you need to get your own copy <laughs> so you can bring it over, and we can have. That's eight player what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. All right, and actually, speaking of that, I mean, let's let's kind of wrap up and talk about you know what what are we looking to play next? What are we thinking about bringing to the table in the the near future? Ooh. You know, I just got my copy of the collect or the I forgot what they called it. it it's collector's edition, I think, of uh, Castles of Burgundy. Actually, just came in the mail a few days ago. It is so it is so decked out. It's got miniatures for the castles, and I, I got everything. I didn't get the like the, they have tiles that you can get that are minis of basically everything, like the animals and the buildings and stuff like that. But I didn't get that. But I'm hoping to table that pretty soon. I'm really excited for that. Uh, which is why I bought the collector's edition. So that's probably in the near future. Yeah, for me. count me in. Count me in. Ken, what about you? Very cool. Uh, well, I'm I'm still uh, still waiting for, uh, for 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 Tim to set up that King's Dilemma game uh, that uh, he's been uh, been talking oh. about for what probably over a year now. <laughs> so what happens is anytime we get the the group together that can play that, we end up saying, "Oh, but we'd rather play Ti." <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's that's definitely one of the biggest challenges. I think that's another that's another topic for another day is how hard it is to get recurring games like really going. Yeah. Um, and we have a pretty big group, yeah. and that's still pretty challenging. Well, and, and, like, and it's really challenging. And yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that more in another another uh, session. But it's also really challenging if you need to have the same group of people each time for recurring games, like which most of them do. Yeah, and, so. and and both and both both you know Tim and I have we'll have regular game nights and we'll have you know we have a, a pretty big selection of people who will come, but it's not the same people every time. And so at that point, trying to do something like you know like King's Dilemma or like even like I I do enjoy doing a lot more role playing games things like that than you know you know actual RPGs and trying to get you know same set of people regularly to do that is is hard. So I'm, I'm you know with that kind of looking at I'm doing more uh, related one shots kind of a model because it's it's hard to get. The same set of people to be able to play unless we're going to go uh go get a, a beach house for a week or something it's hard to hard to make that happen oh that's <laughs> oh so my tempting. gosh can oh, we man. do that like let's why didn't i th- why did we think of this let's before? do that i've done it several times with different groups so definitely I, i'm all, all down for it absolutely like a cabin although i do think it's really funny yeah like what are we really going to go to the beach are we really yeah, typically when I've done it, what ends up happening is that we play we play board games for about six hours a day, spend about two hours a day at the beach, and it's a beach trip. So, you know, yeah. I mean, two hours <laughs> is a good amount of time to spend at the beach. I'm game for that. Yeah. I'm game for that. Especially if you do it every day for a week, that's plenty of time at a beach. You know uh, what? Maybe this is the only way King's Dilemma is really going to get played. All right? I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd say that's my, my biggest one that I'm, I'm looking to play. Uh, uh, what about you, Sarah? You, anything you, uh, you've been, uh, been wanting to play? Uh? So y'all know me. I'm just going to show up with snacks and play whatever is on the table. But I will say that I will continue to bring my copy of Railroading to every game night and play it between <laughs> games because it is one of the best. Not my favorite game, Dice Forge Still Wins, but Railroading. Close second. Yep. Close second. Yep. Uh, Railroad Inc. definitely gets a 10 out of 10 from me. It's, uh, it's an amazing game. We see, game. Sarah, there's not a lot that I'm trying to get to the table anymore because the, at the end of the day, I don't want you ha- to have to cram any more rules into that head of yours, all right? <laughs> like, no, you're, you're done with rules, okay? I don't want to have to teach you anymore. I want you to be able to, like, just enjoy games when you come over. Like, you at least have some semblance of what the hell's happening every time you come over. Tim, Tim has also told us a good half dozen times that he is done buying new board games uh, only to show up with two or three whoa, games whoa, 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 okay, hold on, hold on, hold the fort, okay, because what I said then is still true, it's just the games are already on the way, they were kickstarted, okay, so I stopped buying them a while ago, they're just finally coming, all right? A likely story, a likely I'm story. I'm just saying, all right. That's going to wrap up our conversation about our three favorite games. Our next episode, I think we're going to be talking about good games to intro people who are new to the board game world. So definitely stick around and and listen to what we have to say about that. Or just in general, it's just for people who want to get their significant others into it. Like, you know, same same ballpark, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Uh, when, when, you, when, you have, when you have someone who comes over and doesn't play a lot of games, what would be good to teach them? Obviously, games like Twilight Imperium, probably not a good... Or if they come over, they look at you weird every time, they see that giant wall of board games, they're like, what is wrong with this person? They might... You can maybe tone that down a little bit. <laughs> probably not much, but you can help them kind of, yeah. you know, weaken those thoughts a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate right. it. We'll see you in the next one. Yeah. Absolutely. I figured we would just do like a recording. do do do
like and follow. <laughs> like. <laughs>